This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. According to Jewish legend, when Abraham started on his journeys, as he began to walk in relationship with God, he saw the stars in the heavens and he said, I will worship the stars. But soon the stars set. And then Abraham saw the constellations. He saw the Pleiades and the rest of them. And and he said, I will worship the constellations. But the constellations also set. Then Abraham saw the moon sailing high in the heavens. And he said, I will worship the moon. But the moon also vanished when her season was over. And finally, Abraham saw the sun in all its majesty coming out of its chamber like a bridegroom and rejoicing as a a strong man to run a race. And yet when the day was spent, he saw the sun sink on the western horizon and disappear. Stars, constellations, moon and sun, all were unworthy of his worship for all had set and vanished. Then Abraham said, I will worship God, for he abides forever. You see, God alone is worthy of our worship. Whatever else is worshipped, ambition, money, appetite, beauty, affections, family, or friends, all of them, one by one, like the heavenly bodies, they set and they disappear. But God remains Jesus Christ remains. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I encourage you to give him first place in your life. Give him your devotion, your strength, and your love. We're talking today about the priority of worship, the priority or the importance, the prime concern, the primary issue, the preeminence of worship. And let's start by going to Exodus chapter 20, where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain. In verse 1, it says, God gave all the people these instructions. He said, I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. This term worship comes from an old English word that means worth-ship. That is to ascribe worth to someone or something. We worship God because He is worthy. Our worship ascribes worth to Him because of who He is and what He does. So literally, to worship is to bow down, to kiss toward, to give glory and honor to a worthy recipient. Many people react to this. I've heard it throughout my lifetime. They say, well, He's not my God. I have no desire to worship him. But look at Psalm 95 with me in the New International Version. Verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, 
our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. In fact, the Bible, which consists of 66 books, includes its longest book, the book of Psalms, which is all about worshiping and honoring God. And Revelation, the Bible's last book, shows us the future heavenly scene of both angels and believers falling on their faces, worshiping God. Isaiah 45 verse 9 in the New Living Translation says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their Creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? You see, He is our God. He is our maker. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's the creator. We're the created. And yet, for all that, there are many, many things that compete for our worship. Even introducing false gods to us, which are not gods at all. In Isaiah 45, verse 5, from the Berean Study Bible, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will equip you for battle, though you have not known me, so that all may know from where the sun rises to where it sets, that there is none but me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And this theme is repeated in, 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 the, in the chapters uh, of Isaiah uh, prior to and following chapter 45, where God says, there is no other Savior than me. And yet, as Moses was receiving the commandments from God on the mountain, Aaron who was really Moses' right-hand man, he led Israel to worship false gods. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 32. It says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down off the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, Come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up here from the land of Egypt. Of course, they had experienced the mighty hand of God that delivered them from Egypt, from Pharaoh, and brought them here into the wilderness. And now Moses, communing with God, receiving the law. And yet they ask for gods to lead them in the place of the only true God. So Aaron said, verse 2, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And then Aaron took the gold and he melted it down and out of the fire came this idol in the form of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Beware, even spiritual leaders may attempt to lead us to worship false gods. Not only spiritual leaders, but world leaders as well. In Daniel chapter 3, in Babylon, the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar set up an image, probably of himself, and he required all to worship that image. He said, when you hear the music begin to play, you need to bow down and worship. 
Well, there were three young Hebrew men, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And they knew their God, and they refused to bow down. Well, obviously, there were those among uh, those in that, in that great gathering who had the gift of peeking because they reported to Nebuchadnezzar that these three young men didn't bow down. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them forward and he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. If you don't bow down, I'm going to, I'm going to execute you. And their response is this, Daniel 3, verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What courage demonstrated. And of course, we know the end of the story that they are spared in the fiery furnace. In fact, there's a fourth man who Nebuchadnezzar says looks like a son of God or the, a son of the gods. And we believe this is a, a, a theophany, a Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 15, it talks about a future ruler and the Antichrist, who will require worship from the inhabitants of the earth or face death. And we also know that the devil, who is a fallen angel, even observed as the holy angels and influential men worshipped Jesus Christ at his birth. And the devil was envious. Now, who is this devil? Let me just digress for a moment. Let's go to Ezekiel 28, verse 14, where we get a little bit of insight into this particular character. It says, You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you down to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings." You see, his heart was lifted up and full of pride. Ultimately, he was cast out of heaven. Now, Isaiah chapter 14 gives us further insight, beginning in verse 12, describing specifically this very fall of Lucifer. How are you fallen from heaven, O shining star, Lucifer, son of the morning? You've been thrown down to the earth. You who destroyed the nations of the world, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. Instead, God says, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. 
everyone there will stare at you and they will ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and who made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Obviously looking back to his being cast out of heaven and looking forward to his ultimate judgment. But let's go back to Christ's birth for a minute. Remember, the angels out in the hill country worshiping, praising God, giving glory to God as Jesus Christ is born. But further illustrating the priority of worship, three wise men came from the east that we may worship him, they said, and bowing down, they opened their treasure to give him gifts. Now notice the relationship here between worship and giving. Worship depicted by bowing down, which is one of the definitions of worship. And then they opened their treasures to give to him gifts. They gave him gold, uh, a gift for a king. They gave him frankincense, uh, a gift and a tool for a priest. And they gave him myrrh, the burial spice. And of course, we know Jesus is coming as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice who will take away the sin of the world, and he will be dressed in this burial spice. This, of course, threatened the devil, the God of this age, who inspired Herod to kill all the boys under the age of two in proximity to Bethlehem after Jesus was born. This is known as the massacre of the innocents. And much like innocent blood is spilt today among children and particularly innocents, not just in other nations of the world, but here in America, it is ultimately the God of this age that inspires this murderous behavior. But he couldn't tolerate the worship of the infant king, and he did everything in his power to destroy him. Well, he will again visit him later. Now, some will protest, well, I thought worship was reserved for God. I don't understand why the Son of God is receiving this worship. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. The English Standard Version provides insight. Hebrews 1, 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he, when the father, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Do you see? God commands the worship of the son by the created angels. Now, don't let the fact that he is called a son or firstborn over creation confuse you. Noted not just here in Hebrews 1, but also in Colossians 1. He truly is a son in relationship to the father, to distinguish him from the father because they are not one and the same. He is truly the firstborn as error of all things. He is firstborn over creation. But remember, he is creator. John 1, uh, which I, I regularly share with you, tells us that all things were made by him. He is the living word. 
All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that is made. He is the Creator. Now, worship is reserved for God Almighty, and that includes Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son. Now, it's interesting that the Bible even records worship that was wrongfully attempted by John, the beloved apostle and the author of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 8, after receiving the revelation and, and writing down the various visions that God gave him, he, he writes this, he says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them and I saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, listen, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keeps the words of this book. Worship God. A direct command shared by the angel, worship God. He says, I as an angel am, am like you and, and your brothers, the apostles, and, and the prophets who are, who are great, leaders of the people, but they are not to be worshipped. And, and those who keep the words of, of God's word, the Bible, and the book of Revelation, they are not to be worshipped. Worship God. And so the point is, the holy angels do not accept worship. And yet you remember Lucifer, the devil, Satan. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, that he disguises himself as an angel of light. And we know that historically he has revealed himself and inspired false religion and teaching as an angel of light. Well, Luke chapter 4 records a fascinating interaction between Christ and Lucifer. This is following the baptism of Jesus by John in the Jordan and as his earthly ministry begins. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4, it is recorded, but let's look at Luke 4 or 5. It says, Then the devil took Jesus up and he revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Think of it. Satan says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Now, some will question this, but remember, Adam and Eve had given up the dominion, the authority that they had in the earth by their sin, by turning their backs on God. And this gave an opening to Lucifer to come in and to begin usurping authority in the earth. Yes, God is on the throne and God can intervene at any time. We know that he does not yet because he's not willing that any should perish. And he continues this time, this period of grace, so that people can come to the knowledge of the truth. But God can intervene and he can stop any effort of the enemy. But for a time, he allows this work of the wicked one. He says, these are mine to give to anyone I please. And then he says this, I will give it all to you, Jesus, if you will worship me. The glory and the authority of all the world's kingdoms, which he shows to Jesus in a moment of time. Undoubtedly, he showed him America. 
the European Union, China, the British and Mongolian empires, the caliphates, the Arab transnational empires, the Roman, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, the Babylonian, the Assyrian empires, all in a moment of time. And he said, I'll give you authority over them and, and you can have the glories of them. You see, Satan is willing to trade all of these. This illustrates the priority of worship. He says, I'll give it all up if you will just bow the knee to me. And of course, he's tempting Jesus Christ, who is fully man, as well as fully God. He is the God-man. And Jesus, who has limited himself, taken on the form of flesh so that he might live obediently and ultimately go to the cross, has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, he's thirsty, and now Satan comes and tempts him as a man to circumvent the way of the cross, to discard God's plan from the foundation of the earth, and instead to simply take the kingdoms by bowing the knee to Satan himself. But Jesus replies in verse 8, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord God only and serve Him. The Lord God only. As if to say, Sorry, but one day you'll be worshiping me. Jesus wasn't interested in circumventing God's plan from the beginning of the earth. Think about it. How absurd is this that the prince of this world could command worship and allegiance from the creator, the king, and the future judge of the world. Remember, John tells us that, yes, Jesus created all things, and we also know that all judgment has been given unto the Son. Well, fascinating that Satan sees the priority of worship to the extent that he desires to take it for himself, above control, authority, even in the earth. Finally, let's consider Jesus' commentary on the priority of worship that's recorded in John chapter 4. Jesus takes an unlikely detour as he returns from Jerusalem to Galilee. And yet he goes through Samaria, where the Jews customarily had no dealings. It was there that a woman and her entire town needed to be reached. These Samaritans are half Jew, half Gentile, and as a result are looked down upon by the Jews. In a remarkable story, Jesus reveals himself to this Samaritan woman in desperate need of salvation. Now remember, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that is exactly what we see Jesus doing. Even during his earthly ministry, prior, prior to going to the cross, we see him set out to rescue this woman from her sin. It's fascinating that Jesus hereby reveals the purpose of relationship with God. Let's pick up the narrative in John 4:19, and this is the NIV. Sir, the woman said, I can see 
that you're a prophet. You see, in the dialogue that Jesus had with this woman, he offers her living water as they sit at a well, and they talk about the natural element, but he takes it to the spiritual level, and he says, if you knew who I was and what the gift of God is, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And she said, well, I'd like to have some of that. And he says, well, why don't you go and call your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband, but Jesus responds because he understands, he knows her. He says, and he knows her because he's God. He says, no, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. So in that you've rightly responded. And her response is, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so what does she do? She asks him a theological question. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Then Jesus responds, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In other words, you're not, you're not going to need any further clarification. You're not going to get it any purer than I just shared it. Now let's look at several facts from Jesus' references here to the priority of worship. Number one, God is seeking worshipers. Contemplate that for a moment. He is looking throughout the earth for worshipers. Number two, relationship with God is grounded in worship, not in service, not in religion or ritual or effort. No, it is grounded in worship. Number three, true worship or true worshipers worship in spirit according to the truth. The location or the form is not so important, but in the spirit and according to the truth is. Number four, the fact that God is seeking true worshipers reveals that there are false worshipers. And let me remind us that sincerity is never a substitute for truth. We must worship according to the truth. And number five, last of all, the purpose of evangelism is to rekindle worship in the heart of the redeemed. Wow, isn't this fantastic? Now, I want you to remember that there are three musts in the Gospel of John, three things that must take place. Number one, from John chapter three, you must be born again. Jesus tells Nicodemus, 
You must be born of flesh. You must be born of the Spirit. There is a water birth and there is a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, if God is spirit, if we are going to worship Him, we must be also in spirit. And the way we become a spiritually alive being is by being born again. Number one, you must be born again. Number two, Jesus says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. In other words, if Jesus were not to go to the cross, if Jesus had taken Satan's bargain and simply bowed down and become uh, uh, in a position of authority over all kingdoms of the earth, salvation would not be available to the ends of the earth. No, in order to atone for sins, Jesus must be lifted up. He must die the cruel death of Calgary. He must become the substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Number one, you must be born again. Number two, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And number three, the third must of the Gospel of John, those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you realize you were made to worship Him? You have the opportunity today as a believer to intimately worship, to bow down, to give gifts, to kiss toward, to ascribe the glory due to the name of Almighty God, the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were made to worship Him. If you've not yet been born again, if you've not been spiritually born, then today is the day of salvation for you. This is your opportunity. And as Jesus welcomes you to come, he asks you to come to enter relationship with the Father and to reinstitute worship, worship that began in the garden and that is meant to be practiced today by you and by me. So let's pray and let's ask God to open our hearts to worship him or for the very first time for many of us to open our hearts that we might be saved, that we might know him. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I know you're seeking worshipers and you sent Jesus that he might find them. He came to seek and to save the lost. We once were, and now in relationship, we worship, we fellowship, and we share. We share wonderful, uh, relationship and interaction with you and we are so grateful but lord for the person today who is yet to enter into this worship covenant they've yet to be born again as you guide them as you convince them as you impress upon them that you are compelling them to repent to have a change of mind a change of heart that will cause a change of direction no longer going their way but now walking back toward you asking Jesus to be Lord on the throne of their life. Jesus, we welcome you to come into our, our entire life, into our heart, and take up Lordship. Simply pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, I believe you died for me. You died for my sins. I repent of my sin. I ask forgiveness for my sin, my self-centeredness. And I ask you to 
Forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you're alive today. Come into my heart, come into my life. I open the door and I welcome you and I want a fellowship. I want to share a meal. I want to worship at the throne of God. I want to give glory due your name, Jesus, your name, Heavenly Father, your name, Holy Spirit. Save me now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You were made to worship him. God bless you. Now, if you just prayed that with us, we want to know about your decision today. For those that said yes to Jesus for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the party. And we'd love to help you get connected either here at Courageous Church or wherever you're watching from today. And here's how you can do that. You can go to CourageousChurch.com slash connect to fill out a digital connect card. And this will help our team know how to best follow up with you and pray for you in the days ahead. We also want to come alongside you as you begin your new faith journey by sending you a Bible and helping you take some next steps. For the rest of you today, I want to pray that God would give you greater boldness and courage in him to step out and to praise him in some of these new ways that we've talked about today. So Lord, we ask for your boldness and your courage to love you and to worship you and to trust you the way that the scriptures command. We also thank you, God, for all the ways in which you have blessed us. We are so thankful for your presence and we're so thankful for every gift that you've given us. We ask that you'd come, Lord, and be magnified and glorified in our praise. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you in the Salt Lake Valley, we're currently gathering in person at our new location at 10702 South 300 West in South Jordan on Sundays at 5 p.m. We'd love for you to come out and join us. We also have prayer nights on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. at our prayer room in Sandy. And you can go to our website, courageouschurch.com prayer to get all of the details. Courageous Church is your home church. We want to remind you to honor God with your giving. Your generosity allows us to reach so many people with the hope and the healing and the courage and the life of God. It allows us to advance his mission for the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And if you want to be a part of that and what God is doing with this church to make a big difference, you can use one of the links that we've posted right there in the comment section or just head on over to courageouschurch.com giving to give online. Church, we love you. You're God's masterpiece. You are his best. So be strong and courageous and praise him with everything that you have. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.